Ezra chapter 1. What an exciting uh, week today it is as we go to that book now and, and really study now and, and, and talk about this new series that we're going to be going through on Wednesday nights called Reclaim. That, I mean, that's such a bold word right there, reclaim. That's saying, I'm going to get back what's mine. That's reclaim. That's what reclaim means. I'm going to claim back what once I had and I lost. I'm going to claim that territory. I'm going to claim that space. I'm going to claim that, that, that land. I'm going to go and get back what's mine and what rightfully belongs to me. You see, what had happened was that we left off at 2 Kings. And from First and Second Chronicles is an entire detailed summary, First and Second Chronicles. I'm gonna, uh, I encourage you through your one-year Bible reading that you read First and Second Chronicles, but it really is a detailed historical summary from, from Second Samuel all the way to Second Kings. That's exactly all summarized again from First and Second Chronicles. You see when, where David becomes king, his entire rulership, and you see where Solomon builds the temple. And then in 2 Chronicles, you get an outline now of what we studied in 2 Kings, which is going through the lines of the different kings. But now we go to the book of Ezra, which means help, help, or Yahweh helps. You see, if you want to reclaim anything, if you want to restore anything in life, if you want to get back what the Lord had given you at one point in your life, then you need Yahweh's help. <laughs> Right? I want to restore my marriage. You want to restore uh, uh, maybe a financial situation, a spiritual situation. You want to reclaim it, then you need Yahweh's help. Man, you would say today, today I came because I need some help. Yes, you do. We all do need that help. And we need Yahweh's help. But one of the things that is very prevalent in the theme consistently throughout Ezra, and I'm gonna, we're going to give a very quick introduction today in a, in a few chapters as well, is that God faithfully keeps His promises. You know why you can reclaim? You know why you can revive? You know that why you can regain and why you can restore? Because God faithfully keeps His promises. And I want you to remember that today. Maybe you're asking the Lord, Lord, do something in my life. Lord, do something where you give me that place of blessing and that promised land. Well, God faithfully keeps His promises. And we sometimes, we see that now, as we left off in 2 Kings, that the nation of Israel are in a captivity of 70 years under the Babylonian Empire. You see, when you go to Ezra, that 70 years is up. And have you ever been more excited about a time or a spell in your life, a little patch in your life where you would say, you know what, I'm going through such a dry spell, right? And it's finally up. Thank God. <laughs> I was going through a season that was so dark and it's finally up. Thank God. I was going to a financial situation and it is finally up. Thank God. Well, these 70 years are finally up. <laughs> Thank God. Yahweh helps. But one of the things that is so interesting that the, that the nation of Israel here, that, that we learn through their history, is that, that we are sometimes so concerned about our present state and our present comfort. We're so concerned about our present comfort when God is concerned about our eternal state. We are sometimes so concerned about our present comfort, today's comfort, when God is concerned about our eternal state. What are you more concerned about today? Your present comfort, the comfort of today, or the state of eternity? And we're going to learn that today. We really are. Because sometimes God, what He will do is He will let us free into our Babylon, 
He will let us free into the epicenter of idolatry because that's what we're so enslaved and craving. He will let us free into it so that we can understand the filth of our sin. And sometimes the Lord has to do it. All right, you want idolatry then? I'm going to send you to the epicenter of idolatry then so that you can understand how dark idolatry really is. All right, you want that little sin? Let me send you to the epicenter of that sin so you can understand the filth of how dark that sin really is. And he does that for 70 years. He said, all right, you guys want to be all about idolatry? Then I'm going to send you now to now that place of idolatry. But guess what happens after that second year? That 70 years, I'm sorry? A new and a second exodus. You would say, well, exodus was so exciting when they came out of Egypt. But there is a new exodus here in Ezra. There is a second exodus in Ezra. And Jeremiah the prophet prophesies that. Did you? We studied how last week how he prophesied that they would go into captivity, but then he also prophesied when they would come out of captivity. That's the word of the Lord. That's what he does. In Jeremiah 27, 22, it says, They shall be carried to Babylon, and they shall be there, speaking on the Lord's behalf, until the day that I visit them. Man, what an amazing thing when the day that God visited you and me. The day that we were captive, but he visited you. And maybe today you need, Lord, I need you to visit me, God. Because I am under that captivity, Lord. I, I need to get out of those 70 years. Lord, take me out. Visit me, Lord. Says the Lord, then I will bring them up and restore them this place. Jeremiah said, there's going to come a time where I'm going to visit now, the Lord's saying, and I'm going to take them out of this place. Thank God for whatever that day was in your life and in our lives. Where the Lord visited us in Jeremiah 29.10. Jeremiah again prophesied that they would come out of Babylon. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, Jeremiah 29.10 is prophesying these events before they take place. I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. As it was saying, Jeremiah 27.22 says, They shall be carried to Babylon and they should dwell there until the day I visit them. And I will bring them and I will restore them. What does God always want? He wants restoration. He wants restoration in your life and in my life. You know what's interesting here that in Ezra and Nehemiah, we see the first in Ezra, the rebuilding of the temple. And in Nehemiah, you see the rebuilding of the walls. When Ezra and Nehemiah were first discovered and written, it was one book. And, and it was called First Ezra, and then it was called Second Ezra. But then after it was, the Bible was put together, Ezra and Nehemiah were split into two books. And you see that they build the temple, they rebuild the temple, and they rebuild the walls while facing opposition. While facing opposition. And I'll tell you, anytime you want to see God's promises... Anytime you want to go back to where God called you, you, you will face opposition. It's, it's perfectly normal to face opposition when you want to be used by God. When you want to, a revival, a restoration, and you want that new exodus, you want to set in motion now that new exodus, guess what? You will face opposition. And now here, they're about to face opposition, but before that all happens, Daniel now prophesies it, Jeremiah prophesies it, and Ezekiel prophesies it. They're going to come out and they're going to be a different and a new people. If you reach uh, Daniel and you go to chapter 5 of Daniel, you're going to remember that Daniel starts to prophesy something that is written in the wall now where King Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, right, was, was there. And, and it said that Belshazzar, what did it say in Daniel chapter 5? That there was words on that wall, the writing on the wall. And that prophecy was that the Persian Empire 
were to come and take over the Babylonian Empire. Right now, Babylon's in power, but we're going to find out now that as we pick up in Ezra chapter 1, now someone new is in power. And it was Persian, the Persian Empire. And in the Persian Empire, we see that something takes place now in chapter 1 of Ezra. I want to take you to a place now first, before we get there, as a way of introduction to the book of Ezekiel. And it just put your, your maybe a, a place mark right there in Ezra, but I want to take you to Ezekiel chapter 36, where we see here that there is a prophecy given to the nation of Israel now of what the Lord has to do before we can reclaim anything. I think sometimes we're so ready to be in that place and in our minds we think we're so ready that we want to be in that new place, in that new season. We want the Lord to give it to us back. We're tired of those 70 years of, of being under captivity. And, and Lord, take us out of this captivity now. But in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27, we see that the Lord has also prophesied that He's going to give now here the nation of Israel. He wants to give them one thing. And He wants to give them a spiritual renewal and a heart transplant. You see, God wants to give you a heart transplant today too. As He takes you back to that place, as you reclaim anything that, God, that the enemy has maybe taken from you. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says, And I will give you a new heart. This is what we need today. Before we go into Ezra, we need a new heart. Before we rebuild temples and we rebuild walls, we need a new heart. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. God wants to put, give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone, that, heart, that hard heart that you have, that callous heart that you have. I will take out the heart of stone, as it says here, out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh now. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgments and you will do them. This is the only way to obey with a new heart. You cannot obey with an old heart. You can't obey now with the heart of stone. You know what a heart of stone symbolizes? A heart of stone symbolifies and implies inflexibility in a heart of, st of stone. It, it implies now a heart that is rebellious. That's a heart of stone. A heart that can be spoken to. A heart that's really hard. That's not soft. But a heart of flesh means submission. A heart of flesh means compliance. A heart of, of flesh means a heart that can feel, that can enjoy, a heart that can feel the love of God, a heart of flesh that is so open to love other people. A, a heart of flesh is a heart that is a proper habitation for the Lord to live in. That's a heart of flesh. You see, when you have a heart of stone, it's a very stubborn heart. Have you ever been stubborn to what God wants you to do? Lord, I know you want me to do that, but I have a heart of stone. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> And that's going to take you into Babylon, back into that place of disobedience. Lord, I know you've called me to do this, but I don't want to do this. That's the stubborn, senseless, unattractable heart that receives no kindly impression from the voice of God, from the Spirit of God, from the Word of God. And God cannot work in that type of heart. And I want us, before we know that we're going to Ezra, into this book to reclaim anything, is that we would ask the Lord, Lord, give me a new heart and put your Spirit inside of me. See, the Holy Spirit cannot dwell in the old heart. And sometimes we ask, Lord, use the heart of stone. And the Lord's saying, no, I don't want to use that heart of stone. I want to use the heart of flesh that can feel. 
the heart of flesh that can open, the heart of flesh that can be molded. In the heart of stone, the old heart is a filthy place. It's devoid of all good. It's empty and it's full of hatred and rebellion towards God. That's the heart of stone. And the Spirit's very first operation that He wants to do in your life is to take that heart of stone away and give you a new heart, a heart transplant, one that would mirror the heart of God and that would naturally and consistently be a place for the Spirit of God. Ask the Lord today, Lord, what kind of heart do I have? Do you need, you need to give me a new heart like you gave the nation of Israel a new heart? Do I, need to, do I need to give up, Lord, that heart of stone that I have that doesn't want to love you and doesn't want to love other people? That wants to talk back all the time, that wants to have a bad attitude, that wants to rebel against what you're telling me, Lord? That heart of stone, Lord, remove it. I want you, the great physician, to give us a heart transplant. You see, that's what we need tonight, a heart transplant. A heart transplant. And I pray that the Lord would speak to you today if you would need to ask Him, Lord, give me a heart transplant. Because the only way that I'm going to enjoy the promises of God and His faithfulness and reclaim anything of what His Word tells me is that if I say, Lord, I am so willing, I'm open, here you go, do that operation on me. Take me into the surgery room of the, of the master physician and I want to be there and be operated by you, Lord, put your spirit inside of me. Put your spirit inside of me. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Let's go ahead and read it. This is now in the first year of Cyrus. Now, this is the king of Persia, the king and the empire that overturned and overtook the Babylonian empire. It says here now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. What did you do? the Lord do? He did something here. The Lord stirred the spirit of the king of Persia so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. And it says, throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me he has commanded me to build him a house of, at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you all his people. May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem." Then the heads of the fathers in the houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirit God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And the people who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with the precious things besides all that was willingly offered. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We thank you, Lord, because you want to speak to us, Lord, about reclaiming, about regaining, Lord, about revival, Lord. And before any of that can happen, Lord, you have to take out the stony heart, Lord, that we have. Lord, you have to take the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, a heart that hears, that feels, a heart that has compassion, that loves you, Lord, and that loves others, a heart that doesn't rebel, Lord. And Lord, that you have to put your spirit inside of us. 
I pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Together we say, Amen. It says in the very first verse of Ezra chapter 1, it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, now, and we studied what that means and why that, it, it is noted there, that the mouth, by the mouth of Jeremiah here, might be fulfilled. What is it telling us here? That God is going to honor His Word. His Word is authoritative and His Word is sufficient. Jeremiah prophesied it in the name of the Lord and the Lord would honor the prophetic now word that He gave to Jeremiah. The, the Lord already had spoken through Jeremiah that this would take place. And now God is going to keep His Word. He honors His Word now and, and, and God does here what only God can do. And I want you to remember, this is how revival and how reclaiming happens. When God does what only He can do. Sometimes we want to say, Lord, I want revival, but I want to do what I can do. No, revival happens when God does what only He can do. <laughs> and it's amazing. when you, Lord, we pray that you do here what only you can do. Because what we can do is not enough. It's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it's not effective what we can do. We pray that you do what only you can do. And it says here now that the word of the Lord came by the mouth of Jeremiah, that the Lord keeps his promises, he fulfills his prophecies that might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Understand this. What is the, what is the Lord doing? He's stirring the spirit. He's stirring the spirit now of King Cyrus. Understand King Cyrus is not a believing a, a, a believer. He was not walking with the Lord. He wasn't uh, anyone that, that was in a place where he honored the God of Israel, God, Yahweh. He was not that man. But he had a, in a conscience, in his consciousness, he had an awareness of God. And God used King Cyrus to turn the nation of Israel back to him. <laughs> Isn't that amazing that you see someone come into power that maybe is not walking with the Lord. Maybe doesn't have the best character. Maybe doesn't have the best integrity or, or, or the model citizen that you would think that they should be like. But God is using him to turn his people back to himself. What does this tell us? That, that the Lord is in charge of everything. And sometimes we say, well, I don't like that person that's in charge. I don't like that governor that's in charge or those council members or even the president. I don't like how he talks, but the Lord is using those that are in charge. The Lord use, if the Lord can use King Cyrus to send his people back to him, you don't think the Lord that can use those that are in authority today? Of course he can. And maybe we're living in a time where God has given us a, a King Cyrus type where we are able to honor the Word of God. In, in Proverbs 21, verse 1, it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. You know what the Lord, in, in the Lord's hand, He has everyone's heart who is in authority. And it says, Like the rivers of water, He turns it wherever He wishes. If somebody in authority does a certain thing or, or, or plans a certain way or is moving in a certain direction, or, do you not know that God did not allow that? God is sovereign. He is outside of time. And He was very much so in charge of that decision. He allowed it to happen. That decision had to go through him first before that took place. And God said, all right, I will permit this to take place because it will align with my plan. Right? So now he is using here now King Cyrus. But what does he have to do in order to use King Cyrus? What does he have to do in order to use him? He has to stir his spirit. And I pray that today that you would not leave until the Lord stirs your spirit. That as we are reading today, the Lord stirs your spirit so that you can get closer to Him. That today the Lord stirs your spirit so that you can reclaim what He wants you to have in His promises. 
And, and look what he says, that, that the king of, 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 of Persia, King Cyrus, when his spirit was stirred, he made a proclamation or a decree. You see, when, when God stirs your spirit, you know what you do? He causes you to make a decision about what He's speaking to you about. He causes you to make a decision and to make a choice now about what you're going to do. Throughout all His kingdom, He made a decree and He made a decision. He commanded and He ordered. And He also put it in writing. And this is what He puts in writing here now. Understand this. Because this is the beginning now of the rebuilding of the temple. All the nation of Israel now is in Babylon, in captivity here. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. He acknowledges God. He said, I know that God, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. I know I'm in power because of Him. And you would say that he has an awareness of God here, the God of heaven. He might have a relationship with Him personally, but he has an awareness of Him. And he says, and he commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And he said, look, here Cyrus is saying, I'm going to honor God's people. I'm going to honor Jerusalem. I'm going to honor Jerusalem. This is when you know that God is working and stirring in the heart of Cyrus. I'm going to honor Jerusalem. I'm going to honor God's people. And we're going to build his house back up in Jerusalem here. We are going to rebuild which, which was once built and what was torn down. Who is among you of all his people? Who is among you of all God's people? Now he's talking to us. Now he's talking to God's nation. He's saying, you know what, Jewish people? Who, who here are all the Jews in Babylon in captivity? He's giving them permission to go. You know what the only thing about this exodus that was different than the exodus from Egypt? I'll tell you, there was a, there was a, there was a difference. It wasn't as impressive in this exodus as the exodus in Egypt. I'll tell you why. Because in this exodus, some people that were in captivity decided to stay. Just imagine that. You have an opportunity to be free from bondage, but you decide to stay in your sin. In Exodus, the first one from Egypt, everybody said, let's get out of here, let's go. And you saw the Lord part the seas, and you saw the Lord provide for them in the wilderness. But in the second Exodus, you saw some that were comfortable in Babylon, in captivity, and they decided to stay. We're going to be comfortable in compromise. We're going to be comfortable in captivity. We're going to be comfortable in complacency, and we're not going to step out to what God has allowed us to be a part of and to move. Now it says here now, who is among you all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem. Man, he's opened a, a door is wide open. The Lord has opened a door wide open for you to be used. But you're saying, no, I'm going to stay in Babylon. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to stay in captivity. I'd rather stay in captivity, actually. I know there's an opportunity for me to serve, but I'll just, I'd rather stay back. I'd rather stay home. I don't want to be all in. You know what? This, this thing, this little idol, that I, the epicenter of idolatry, they got me. And I'd rather be loyal to the idolatry than go back and set up something that is completely ruined. I'd rather play, I don't want to pay that price. It says, which is in Judah and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God. Go build the house of the Lord of Israel. He is God. What is the Lord is speaking through this man, which is in Jerusalem. And now verse 4. Think about what he says. This isn't a very important verse here. Because he says, And whoever is left in any place, and those that don't go actually, 
or those that are here now in Babylon, look what it says here, where he dwells, let the man of his place help him. If you're not going to go, you better help. You better help, he's telling them here now, Cyrus, with silver, with gold, with the goods and the livestock besides the free will offerings for the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. If you're not going to go, then you're going to give. <laughs> if you're not going to serve, then you're going to send. This is a, such a, an amazing principle here. Give or go. One or the other. But you're not going to sit there and do nothing. He's saying, how are you going to support? How are you going to help? Let him help his neighbor. He said here, use the word help. How are you going to help though? With tangible things. You're going to give silver and you're going to give gold and you're going to give your livestock. And this is going to be, look, I love that word. This is going to be besides the free will offering for the house of God. Sometimes we say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give. And that, that's my, that counts as my giving for the month. <laughs> no, it says here now in verse 4, it says, give silver and give gold, and you're going to serve, or you're going to send, or you're going to give, or you're going to go. And it says here, wait, you're going to do, do this by giving livestock and gold and silver, and you're going to do this besides the offering that are going to be taken for the house of the Lord. This is amazing here. It teaches us to mobilize ourselves when we want to see God do a work. We want to see God do a mighty work, but nobody wants to give and nobody wants to serve. How is God going to do a mighty work like that? You know, oh Lord, we pray that you would provide, but Lord, why don't we pray, Lord, why don't you use me to provide? God, use me, use my resources to provide. Lord, we pray that we would have an opportunity to serve, but Lord, use me so I can serve there. And it's interesting here because in the verse, first three verses and even the, the fourth verse, you start to see that over 100 years before Cyrus used his decree, over 100 years before this was even spoken or written by Cyrus, Isaiah the prophet prophesied, Isaiah now, prophesied by name that Cyrus would give such an order. He prophesied them. Isaiah 44 verse 28, if you want to write it down. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. I'm going to use Cyrus. The Lord is speaking through Isaiah. And he shall perform all my pleasure. Saying to Jerusalem, you shall build, you shall be built. And, the, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Over 100 years before Cyrus even spoke these words. Before this was written down now. Before this order was given. Isaiah the prophet prophesied that this would be taking place. This is amazing, the storyline here that's taking place. Verse 5 now, it teaches us something else. After King Cyrus said, you're going to go back and you're going to rebuild the house of the Lord and you're going to give and you're going to serve and you're going to go and he's telling people to help now. Verse 5, Then the hands of the fathers of the houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, all, it says here, and all with all whose spirit God had moved arose to go and build the house of the Lord which was in Jerusalem. What does it say? What, how, what does it start with? In verse 5, it says the heads of the fathers. The heads of the fathers of, of the families. The heads of the fathers of those that are serving. You see the action, you know where the action begins? It be, begins in the leadership. It begins in the heads of homes. It begins in, 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 in the men and the women that want to take responsibility. And it starts with the leadership here, even with those, the heads or the leaders of the families. This is amazing because that's where the Lord wanted to start now stirring spirits. 
And he, and he wanted to stir the spirit of people so that they can move into action. It says, with all whose spirit God had moved. Lord, we have to ask the Lord, Lord, move my spirit. Move my spirit. Stir my spirit. Because when you stir my spirit, it moves me to action. When your spirit is not stirred by the word of the Lord, by the voice of God, when He hasn't stirred your spirit lately, devotionally, or in prayer, He hasn't stirred your spirit, more than likely, you will not be moved into action. And it says, All whose spirit was stirred, God had moved, arose. They, arose, they got up and they started to serve. It, you know, it's very interesting when you see people come to church every single week and their spirits are not stirred and they don't want to go get up and do something for the Lord. But when your spirit is stirred, you just want to go. You just want to serve. You want to be there. God is moving you to action because your spirit is being stirred now, it says here now. And it started the house of the Lord, which was in Jerusalem. The Lord started to do it with the leaders of families because they exercise, they exercise a broad influence now among the people. You know what happens in order for us to reclaim now as we begin this, uh, this book? In order for us to reclaim, God has to stir your spirit. He must stir your spirit. He must stir your heart. And all whose spirit was stirred got up and they arose and they went to build the house of the Lord. Sadly, only a small percentage decided to return from exile. Sadly, some decided to stay. But those that, small, those that did need that small uh, amount of remnant that did need to go, they needed that encouragement that, that they were being backed up by the nation of, of Israel. And, and, and that they were being backed up. They needed the encouragement to know that they were making a valuable contrib contribution now and, and that God would do what only God can. You see, what does this teach us now? That you, if you want to do, be a part of what God can do, only what God can, then we have to ask Him, Lord, stir my spirit. Give me encouragement to step out of this place so that you can use me. And I think that one of the things that we need to do is to pray for our family members, to pray for our friends, to pray for those that we know of that, that are maybe coming to church or maybe are not coming to church, maybe are not dedicated, maybe don't want to serve. And you, you have to pray, Lord, stir their spirit. Do what only you can. Because their spirit is not stirred. Therefore, they are dormant. They're completely dormant. They don't care. They're not interested. Because their spirit's not stirred. And maybe it's that family member that doesn't want anything to do with the Lord. is not interested in coming to church. Or that, that brother, that sister, whoever would be a parent, a husband, or a wife. And you have to say, Lord, stir their spirit. Move them now, Lord, so that they would have interest, so that they would have a desire, so that they would have hearts, that they would be moved, Lord, and do what only you can do in their life. You see, sometimes we want to do things, we want to uh, exhort people and encourage them and say, come on, start serving, or come on, start coming to church, and the Lord wants to do something in your life, but it's until the Lord stirs their spirit that they are moved now. It's a stirring, it starts with the Holy Spirit, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and although here it was a minority, it was a spirit-stirred minority. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we want a, a big number, but what if the big number is not a spirit-stirred number or a, a, a population? You see, this was a spirit-stirred minority that, were, that they were dedicated to the difficult and discouraging task 
of returning to a place that once was there to rebuild something that was in ruins. And it was essential that God would move their spirits so that they would return to that place and face many difficulties. Some people that maybe they want to go and undertake something for the Lord and their spirit's not stirred, they're not moved by the Lord. Guess what happens? When things get hard, they're going to quit because they're difficult, the difficult tasks. When they get discouraged, they will not build a temple. They will not build the walls because their spirit is not stirred by the Lord. Their spirit's stirred by man. You know, oh, man told me to do this, but it got hard, so I quit because it wasn't really God. It was somebody that told me, no, this journey that they were about to undertake, it was itself long. It was dangerous and it was expensive. <laughs> and if you're going to face something that's long, dangerous and expensive, let me tell you, you're not going to do it on your own. You're going to say, Lord, you, you, you called me to this. That's why I'm still here because my spirit is stirred. And when your spirit is stirred, God gives you a spirit of, I don't want to quit. That's what I love about the Lord when he does that. That things get discouraging, things get dispensive, things get long. But he doesn't allow you to quit because he stirred your spirit. And you're dedicated, you're disciplined for this. You're in this for the long haul. You see, they returned to a city that was in ruins with no proper homes, with no roads, with no city inhabitants or institutions. They didn't have the materials. They didn't have the resources that they needed. They had to return to Jerusalem, and they had to spread out through different providences, and they had many enemies waiting for them there. Think about what, what it really required. God said, you know what? I'm going to send a minority, a small portion of people, but I'm going to send those whose spirit is stirred. You see, the lost possession in the land was actually under now the government of another empire, the Persian Empire. Thinking about uh, of going back to your house and somebody else owns it. How hard, how difficult that can be. How difficult can that be now? But now they receive some type of encouragement as we see here in verse 6. It says, and all those who were around them encouraged them. How do they encourage them? I think it's important that we get encouragement. And not only encouragement with words, but it's a tangible encouragement. It's an encouragement that, that you can touch. It's encouragement that you can see. Where God guides, what does God do? God provides. I'll tell you, I have not been more encouraged in ministry when we began in ministry than when I saw the Lord start providing supernaturally. There were times, I'll tell you, where we started the first Bible study and we needed to route the community center, that, I, that we started to receive checks in the mail now of exact amounts that we needed to rent the entire month at the community center without even people knowing about things that were taking place. Just checks, really, in the mail, just randomly for people that didn't even come to the study. There was a time that I received, I think, there, I received an extra paycheck at work on accident. <laughs> And then I called them and I said, hey, you guys actually sound me. You guys double paid me. <laughs> and they said, you know what? I, that, 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 that's, that's okay. We're not going to pursue it. Just keep it. <laughs> I wonder, is an employee ever going to tell you that? And then we go down to the community center and that amount is the exact amount that we needed to pay the insurance and pay the fees and pay the applications. And I was like, isn't God good? Because where God guides, God provides. And I was, as soon as those things started coming in and, and the checks and all this, man, I was starting to say, man, God does really want us to do this. <laughs> it's undeniable. At first I would say, you know what, Lord, you know what, God, I, I, I don't think that we should do it. It's long and expensive. It's difficult. It's discouraging. I, I don't want to do it. And I started to put up every excuse on why we shouldn't do what we're doing. I, we don't have the sound system. We don't have the money. It, we don't have a bank account. We don't have any of those things. And then the Lord started to provide all of those things. <laughs> and then the Lord, you know what he told me now? 
The only thing that you don't have now is an excuse. First you thought you didn't have anything, but now the only thing that you really don't have is an excuse. Just imagine here, look at in verse 6 what happens. How were they encouraged? Encourage means build up. Encourage means edify. Encourage means encourage with the ability to glow now here in this context. But he says here, they encourage him with articles of silver and gold, with goods, with livestock, with precious things, beside all that was willingly offered. Imagine that. You know what? You're about to go. We're going to encourage you. We're going to help you. We're going to give or we're going to go. We're going to serve or we're going to send why? Because they were so willing. They were so willing to give a tangible encouragement. I'm not just going to pray for you. I'm going to also give so that while I pray for you, you have that financial and practical backing for the work of God. Just imagine those that were going to go out and they decided to go into the to land and they were started to get discouraged and, and doubt in all their mind. And then they received all this encouragement by the giving. You see, your encouragement, your giving encourages people. And when you give, it encourages the work of the ministry. You're giving helps to serve, to build. It assisted. It's an attitude to willingly offer. And it says this now in verse 6, all that was willingly offered besides. They gave besides. You know what the word besides mean? It means that they gave above and beyond. Not only did they give their offering, but they gave besides their offering for the work of the Lord. That's amazing. I give my offering, my tithing to the Lord, yeah, but we're going to give above. We're going to give beyond. We're going to give besides that for the work of the Lord. I know that there's a, there's a suicide rally taking place, right? I'm giving my offering, but I'm also going to give above, and I'm going to give besides, and I'm going to make more space and more room to encourage people to go out and do the work of the Lord. But look how it's done. Willingly. Willingly offer. Willingly. God gave them the opportunity, and they said, I'm willing. <laughs> It was simple as that. God gave them an opportunity and they said, I'm willing. You know what, I, what, the, what the Lord loves? He loves a willing, cheerful giver. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, Let each one give as he purposes in his heart. When God stirs your spirit, when he moves you, you're willing now. You want to be a part of it. Not grudgingly, not out of a necessity. Not because someone has to beg you. Not because they have to pass the bucket. They don't have to do any of that. God stirs your spirit. No, that, none of that's needed. None of that is needed because your spirit is stirred. You cannot wait for God loves. He loves. He loves it. He loves it when you give with a good attitude. Verse 7, King Cyrus also brought out. Look what King Cyrus is doing here. He's reviving the entire place. It says, he brought out the articles of the houses of the Lord which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and he, put in the, the, and he had put in, in the temple of his gods. What, what was he doing here now? It said that in verse 7 that King Cyrus took out all the um, articles of gold and everything that belonged into the house of the Lord when he captured the house and he had put in into the house of idols or the temple of his gods. He took them out of there and he restored them. And Cyrus of Persia brought them by the hand of Mithridath, the treasure, and counted them out. And Shishbazar, the prince of Judah. Verse 9 it says here now, this is the number of them, 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 here knives, 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of a similar kind, and 1,000 other articles. 
Verse 11, all the articles of gold and of silver were 5,400. All these Sheshbazar took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. Look at all this uh, now financial support that they had now received so that they can go out and do what God called them to do. This is incredible and this is amazing. You want to know why? Because this impossible task was funded. They couldn't afford to go to Jerusalem, let alone could they afford to build a temple. You think that they can afford to go to Jerusalem to take that trip or they can afford to rebuild? That was impossible. But God makes impossible things happen when He stirs the hearts of people. And that's why we want the Lord to stir our heart. Because when our hearts are stirred and we're moved, when our hearts are stirred and we're moved, God makes impossible things happen when God stirs the hearts. You know what God also did? He stirred the hearts of everyone necessary for the work. Of everyone necessary for the work. He stirred their hearts. And that's why they wanted to become a part of it. You know, if you don't have a desire to become a part of it, then say, Lord, stir my heart. Take away my heart of stone. Give me a heart of flesh. Put your spirit inside of me and then stir it. Then stir it all up so it can move me to action. I love what it says in Hebrews where it says, you know what, let us consider one another and stir one another up, stir one another up to love and good works. There's nothing better than for the Spirit of God to stir you. And then you go out and stir someone else so they can be used by God. From chapter 2 and on, it talks about and it gives us the list of those that actually went and went from Babylon to now Jerusalem. But one of the things before we end today is to know this. Everyone who trusts, everyone who trusts and steps out in faith, who trusts in Jesus, will participate in an exodus from being in bondage and in captivity and a new exodus from idolatry to a place where you can reclaim what God has given you. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you because you are faithful to complete your promises. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that don't just talk about it, that we want to be a part of it. I pray that we would not be a people, Lord, that are so subject, Lord, to just being comfortable in captivity, comfortable in compromise. That we would not be comfortable, Lord, in a situation, Lord, of where we are not growing, Lord, but you would stir our spirits, Lord. We thank you, Lord, because in your hand you have the heart of men and kings. And we trust you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that if you open up a door and you move, Lord, a door that is open, Lord, if you open it, God, that we would know that, Lord, if you call us to go there, you're going to provide as we go there, God. Encourage us. Move us into action, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Together we said, Amen. Amen.